Hello, church family. Happy Monday. This is our study through Exodus 25. Uh, I initially thought last week that maybe I'll go through extensive um, portion of scripture, maybe from chapter 25 to 31. I may do that this week, but just you know, based on my study, there's a lot of material. And to synthesize it might take a little bit longer, and to explain some of these things might take a while as well. So we'll see how far we'll go. But for, for sure, the today, uh, I want to at least go over uh, chapter 25, um, and we'll see where we go with the rest of the week. Um, but you know, when we think about, uh, when I was in college, I remember thinking, um, you know, it was like a, it was like art class that I took, and there was this one particular artist um, that, they, that they hired, I don't remember all the details of the story, but mainly there was a person, this was an architect person that wanted to help build the city, and he thought he would hire the new, <coughs> excuse me, he'll hire like the most modern and hip artists uh, to help th build the city and um, you know, to be like an architect, uh, to be the lead art architectural designer. And, and in this story, it, was, it seemed to be like this individual uh, wanted to make a city where cars are not allowed to go in. So there was a park outside, there was a walk inside, and each of the buildings, are, they're all random. Uh, they're all weird, and then when he, when this artist pitched this idea to the you know all the investors and all the people that would build the city, uh, they thought he was crazy. He's like, okay, these things are not practical. They don't function well, and no one's gonna actually want to live here if if it takes, you know, no one wants to be in the city if it's so complicated just to get here. And then when they get here, none, none of this stuff makes sense. So this artist interpreted that this entire city was supposed to be like, you know, you're living in a in an art piece, but then you know, if you're a business person, you're trying to figure out, okay, uh, no, that's not going to work because we need people to live here, to work here, so that we can make money, so we could, you know, help the uh, help the not just the city, but the the state and you know, the nation thrive. And then that's just something I thought about when I was actually studying through this passage: is that sometimes when people make things, um, even though they seem very random at times. There, uh, there is an intentionality behind it, and we know even the best construction here. There's a purpose behind it. Um, you know, where you, if you have a computer, every button, every part is designed with an intention to do something. You're supposed to be able to, you know, play music or play games or work. It, it, every part of it is crafted for you to use um, you know, for pro for productivity, whatever it may be. And um, and you know, that's just the nature. I think that how we reflect. Uh, the image of God. You know, our God is a created, uh, our God created the world. <coughs> he made humans with this ability to, to think beyond what they see so that they can, you know, craft something. And everything that people make, this will be a reflection of just how God is actually the one that is, is the grand designer. You know, as, as sophisticated as the Tesla or the iPhone is, nothing is more sophisticated than the cosmos and everything that's in space, all the way down to the little finite molecule. I say this because you know our God is a God that designs things with a particular purpose. He's not random. They all are supposed to point to something greater, and ultimately, everything that God does points to Himself, because God is all good, and He's all of He's perfect in every single way. He's the what's best for all of creation. The, uh, he He makes this thing. He makes creation to to you know to reflect His glory. And we see that here in Exodus 25. <clears throat> this is the beginning of the building of the sanctuary. And uh, Moses is given this particular task to teach the people how they're supposed to build the tabernacle <coughs> as well as the tent. And this is really the beginning of the, the, uh, the Levitical priest system, uh, what, is, what, are, what things that they're supposed to do uh, to worship the Lord. 
So we see that in chapter 25, verse 1. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me from every man whose heart moves him, so you shall uh, raise my contribution. <coughs> now, this is really interesting for me, just to see, just again, by way of reminder. But back then, it's not like now, like nowadays, we have like you know, articles and uh, you know, Twitter feeds and things that we read. But back then, a lot of, majority of what, they, what they're instructed are, are things that you know, the priests are reading to them. Uh, the God instructs uh, Moses, and he will tell it to them, and this will be audible. This will listen, and this will take to heart what God has to say. And this in particular beginning, he tells that anyone whose heart is moved to go and give to them, to raise money for this. This implies that there are going to be people that maybe want to, but aren't, are unable to. There are still poor people in the camp of Israel, <clears throat> much like there are rich people. I remember that uh, early on in the book, um, the Israelites became extremely wealthy because of all the gold that they got from them when they left. So now they're going to put this gold into use. It's not just going to be um, for the, they keep for themselves, but they're going to use what the God has provided for them so that they can worship Him the way that God wants them to. We see this from the, uh, verse 3 to 7. These are all different materials that, uh, that was used. In, in verse 3, these are all the metals. Verse 4, these are fabrics. Verse 5 to 6, these are things like skin and wood. These are all different. Or 7, these are, uh, oh, sorry, 6, these are all like different aspects of what they need. And then seven, these are um, you know, basically onyx stones, the setting stones for the ephod, that's like the breastplate. And for the breastplate, these are um, these are what the priests are supposed to wear as they're um, you know, going about doing their priestly duties. And again, everything is very precise, everything is very particular. It looks bizarre in our term, in our modern day. But back then, this would be like this very elaborate and elegant thing. And it's something that, you know, people didn't really wear back then. It's like, you know, again, these are these are exiles, these are former slaves, so they didn't have much. So then you have a group <coughs> of people within that group, the priests, and they're dressed in these like um, gold uh, um, and these all these, these different stones. And it's supposed to intentionally make people know that this person is a representative of God. It's not to say that this person is better, uh, but it's just that God designed that these, the Levites, these were the people that are chosen by God specifically to go and do the task, to represent God and man and man to God. Because again, this role is not supposed to be something that shows that they're privileged, but rather this section is just a duty and responsibility. They have to take this job seriously, because if they don't, they get killed for it. And, you know, we see that with Ad, uh, Nadab and Abihu. Verse 8, Then let them construct a sanctuary for me, that I may dwell among them. And this is important because God has always wanted to be with his people. Right? I mean, that's like kind of the narrative of the entire Bible. That ever since Adam and Eve sinned, they're casted out. And then, but even before the Adam and Eve were cast out, God made a way for them to return one day. Not in this life, uh, in, uh, in, not perfectly in this life, um, but in the next life. That there is going to be a promised Savior that's going to uh, undo all the things that the devil has done. And this is uh, being, and, and you know, God telling them to make this, uh, the, the sanctuary and the Ark of the Covenant. These are all ways in which it's, it's like a gesture and a way for people to look at, at the shadow, the small things, to make them think, to long for the real thing that is in heaven. Verse 9, according to all that I'm going to show you as a pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. And you'll see this phrase, the pattern of all its furniture. These basically means that God is going to be very particular about how he wants these things to be made. Verse 10, just 16, these are just all the different ways, like the the, 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 the construction of the 
Ark of the Covenant. So um, you, know, you, you can probably you probably have this picture in your Bible, or you've seen it in the Indiana Jones movie. That's actually kind of accurate. Um, but just to highlight here in verse 16, you shall put into the Ark of the Testament which I shall give you. So this box, this golden box, is not just for looks. It's supposed to be like a function to it, and that is to hold the testimony of God. What this means is that it's supposed to, you know, it's the, the, the testimony basically is like the Torah. Uh, they're supposed to have this thing in there so that they can know, you know, so they can study it and they can read it. And it's a way for them to basically keep God's word. <coughs> which means that the centrality of this worship involves around God's word. And they had to carry this ark all over, and then the priest was supposed to you know, be able to go in and uh, um, study it, and they will copy it, they will memorize it, they will do all that they can uh, to know God and to be, and, and, know, and through knowing God, they can be close to God. Verse 17, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide, and shall make two cherubims of gold, make them of hammered work at the... Uh, at the two ends of the mercy seat. Uh, if, okay, so just a quick summary of what the mercy seat is. The mercy seat is a place where seat is not the right. Uh, transla- uh, some of our English translation use the word mercy seat. I think it's common in our language, but it's not really a seat in the sense that like you sit there. But it's more like more like a place where you would go to like kneel. And that and, and this idea that this is where you know the atonement happens. And you know in, in, if you know what the Ark of the Covenant looked like by different artists. You you'll see that there's this like almost like a chair design there, and then these these two angels bowing to it, and it's supposed to also show that there is some separation here. That this there is, in order for the separation to be done away with, there needs to be some sort of sacrifice and atonement for sin, and the angels bowing down is supposed to be a symbolic gesture of the holiness of God. Um, we don't know what cherubims look exactly. Um, it just seems like you know whenever you see it in literature or drawings. It looks like humans with wings, but it, it like kind of looks like that, but not accurate, not completely. I look forward to the day where I can actually see the Ark. I don't know if God will ever reconstruct it, but at least you know maybe there's like some sort of database where I can like look and what does it actually look like. Um, and yeah, there's this two angels bound there, and <coughs> Moses instructs them, verse twenty: You shall put the mercy seat on the top of the Ark, and in the Ark you shall put the testimony which I will give to you. Again, this is similar to what he said earlier. The there's will keep the, the this the point of this ark is to keep uh, certain special unique not relics but this the testimony of God the word of God so that they they can have it with them all the time. Verse twenty two there there I will meet with you and above the mercy seat from the from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony I will speak to you about all that I will give you in in commandments for the for the sons of Israel. So the Ark of Covenant has this gold box and there's a gold lid and that's what, uh, that's this middle portion here. Then also in verse 23 to 30, there's this part of this, this thing called the showbread. And there's, and, you know, it's like, uh, not only do they put this, uh, um, this box, but there's also these bread that's just laid out there. And these 12 bread um, are, are designed to really be a picture, not, not the way that, you know, like, you know, Asian people with their Buddhist statues, like, you know, how they lay fruit and fruit in front of like a like a statue that's not actually what the purpose of those uh what the, what Israelites doing when Israelites are supposed to put these bread here it's actually supposed to be a, sim- a symbolic picture of God providing for the people you know, again it's the opposite of what like Baal worship or even Buddhism those are religion you put the food there and thinking that this the that the deity will actually eat it whereas this is the opposite this will be a picture of like God providing for the Israelites so that they eat it 
Uh, now that the people that were supposed to eat this are the priests. They're in charge. They're in the temple. They're the only one allowed in there. And they're supposed to eat it. And again, so again the picture that you want to have in your mind is that the priest's role is to represent God to man and man to God. That means that he has a unique role to, to you know, when he's eating this, he's kind of eating on behalf of the people. And that's the picture here, that God provides for his people. And we've seen that in our study in the beginning of the Exodus or after they left Egypt. They, you know, the Lord provided for them with the quails and food and everything like that. And that's what this picture is. It's supposed to show them that God provides for them. In verse 31 to 40, these are the golden lampstands. And there are some significance to this in the book of Revelation where we see these seven lampstands. But the point, I think, with this lampstand here is this. The lampstands are designed, not again, not for God. It's not like God needs to see people, so he, he tells them to construct these lampstands so he can see the priests. It's for the priests to see God. It's, just, it's not, not to see God, but like to do the service of the priests. They're in there so that the priests know where to go. They don't you know, bump into each other and you cut like the wrong animal or whatever. They're, it's supposed to be in there with the intention so that they can do what they're supposed to do, to worship the Lord, to offer the sacrifices. In this, in the, um, verse 31 to basically 39, <laughs> It speaks of all of this, the way that these uh, lampstands look like. It, it, it kind of looks like a um, an olive tree, uh, and, and, and you know, some people think it, it looks like an almond, an olive. Different debates go back and forth. I hold to the view that it's olive just mainly because the, the, the olive tree appears multiple times in scriptures in the Psalms and even in the book of Revelation. So this, even though it's, it's like shaped like almonds in verse 33, I don't think it it's actually looks exactly like what an almond tree would look. But it, these lampstands are just very intricately designed. And, <coughs> and these things are made of pure gold, right? In verse 31 says, you shall make a lamp stand of pure gold. So unlike the, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant where it has like, you know, something like you overlay it with gold, these lampstands are completely gold. And, um, and yeah, there's, and these lampstands will give light and illumination to the priests that are working in there. I don't know if you've ever seen gold lit up, um, but you know, I've, I've seen like hotels where they have like kind of like fake gold, you know, and then there's like lights all over the place. And it's really bright, you know, it illuminates. It's very, it's very interesting to see. I can only imagine what it's like with the real gold inside that the, these lamps, these like seven lamps and what are lit. It, it, it looks, it kind of illuminates. It can, it has the ability to illuminate the entire room because it reflects light. But all of this is, uh, is all part of God's instruction. We see verse 40, see that you make them after the pattern for them which is shown to you on the mountain. So these were all part of God's design. That God's design for this is, is particular. Unlike all the pagan religions that, um, you know, that, that, that is only maybe like a unique artist or that is just subjective, um, the God of the Bible gives instruction how he wants to be worshipped and why, right? The question is why. Why does God want to do this? It's not like God needs these gold statues. It's not like God needs these, uh, not statues, these gold lampstands or even this box to represent that he was there. But I think this, because the book of Hebrew explains it this way, that it's supposed to make you think what heaven would be like. When you're, when, when you're outside the temple and then later, uh, you know, when people are around the temple worshiping, it's supposed to be a picture of what heaven is supposed to look like. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5 says, uh, or verse 4 to 5 says, Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since the, uh, there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle for 
See, he said, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. This is the exact same reference here. And the reason why that is is that every time they make, when the Israelites go in, and even for New Testament believers, when we think about the church, is that these are all shadows of something that's greater. The reason why we meet at church with the specific rules and, and the specific type of leadership qualifications is because it's supposed to be a picture of what heaven is like. Our God is a God of order. Our God is a precise God. We worship God that's not random. Everything he does is supposed to point to him. And when we come to worship on Sundays, or whenever we worship together, it's supposed to make you think what, like the joys of singing to the Lord. And Revelation speaks of the same thing, about how we're going to sing a song that we've never sang before. We're going to be with other saints. We're going to be with every tribe and every tongue is going to be together, worshiping the one true God. Church is just, <coughs> excuse me, church is just a little sliver of that reality. We get a foretaste of what that future looks like. And the same thing back in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, when, when, when they were supposed to do, when they had the tabernacle, when they had this the Ark of the Covenant, all of these things were supposed to make them look forward and look up to, to heaven, um, look forward to the day where they can be with God, that, that they're no longer separated from him. That's the lesson for today as we go through uh, Exodus um, chapter 25. <coughs> Excuse me. Allergies. I'm coughing a little bit more than usual, but... That's the, that's the lesson that we learn from this particular chapter. We'll see what we'll do in 20, uh, uh, next, this coming week. Um, but I think, uh, you know, as you go about today, think about the joys of being with one another at church. When you think about the church, don't think of the building and what, the, you know, obviously heaven's not look like, it's not going to look like SFBC, the physical building. But if you're a believer, you're going to be with one another. If you're listening to this and you're a believer, yeah, it's going to be great for, uh, for us because we get to see each other and, and you know, without sin, we have fellowship without any distractions. We can sing joyfully and praise God. And we look forward to that day. Again, that's why we prioritize church because it's supposed to not because it's out of duty, but it's supposed to make us it's supposed to remind us once a week and hopefully it reminds us every day, but you know, the time we worship together on Sunday, that, that heaven is going to be like this. That we work hard and one day we'll be in heaven where we will fellowship, rejoice, even, even at times work for the glory of God without any hindrance of sin. Thanks for listening. I uh, hope this is helpful. Take care and have a good day.